Here are men experienced in every phase of police work. Men familiar with the workings of the law. Men who are proud of their heritage. The men of the Detroit Police Department. For 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, rain or shine, these are the men who serve the city of Detroit. And this is the story behind these men and the organization that produces them. This is Cybercrimeology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. My name is Michael, and I don't know that much about the police. So my naive thought on how to upskill the police so that they could effectively and sensitively respond to cybercrime would be just to train them. But nothing is ever that simple. I honestly wouldn't know where to start looking to be able to understand this issue. Thankfully, our guest today, along with colleagues, has recently authored the paper Police Training, Perceptions, Pedagogy and Policy, which was published in the journal Policing and looks at cybercrime training in the UK. Dr. Tom Cockroft is reader in criminology at Leeds Beckett University. He has not only written the book or a book on police culture, but he followed it up with another book on police occupational culture. Before I get to asking Dr. Cockcroft about how we could better train the police for cybercrime, I wanted to know what it was that got him interested in police culture enough to study it in the first place. That's a really good question, Michael. I blame it on a lecture I attended at Huddersfield University in... I don't even think what year it was, but uh, I went to a, a lecture on this area of cop culture and I just thought that's interesting. And then I went and did a master's degree and did a dissertation on cop culture. And then I went to Brunel University to do a PhD in cop culture. And so I'm explaining this because I think it will probably allow people to make sense of where my theoretical orientation comes from in terms of cybercrime. But I did a PhD and it focused, and this is going to really sound as polar opposite to cybercrime as anything you can imagine, Michael. I did an oral history of policing in the London Metropolitan Police Service between the 1930s and the 1960s, looking at issues such as the use of discretion, racism, sexism, corruption, all these kind of things that police culture theorists look at. And whilst there's no real relation to understanding cybercrime, there is kind of a big link there because it's about understanding how police officers orient themselves towards their work and their job and the societies they work in. And it also helps you understand how police officers understand the changing world that they inhabit. So whereas I might have looked on my PhD at, for example, how the impact of uh, new immigrant communities impacted police officers about othering and in-groups and out-groups, it also gets you thinking about how do police officers react to the expansion of their role, new working practices, new forms of crime. And I find it a little bit strange that 20 years on or whatever, since my PhD, there's still that link there, because even if I'm looking at cybercrime, we're trying to understand how police officers see their job, 
what they don't see as their job, how they respond to certain types of crime, and also to different types of victims. So there is kind of a, a strange and non-linear relationship there, but there's a relationship nonetheless. I, I guess the question is, what is police culture and has it changed much? Is it is it something that's dynamic and evolving a, a lot? Michael, you've just probably asked the most important question anyone can ever ask about police culture. And in its simplest form, it's the idea that the police have got a set of informal values which tend to override police training, procedures and policies. And they're about those informal rules of thumb, the kind of the peer pressure uh, and the peer support in a way that says, forget what they told you in the classroom this is how you really do policing. And it's interesting, I wrote a book on police, or a second book on police culture that came out last year. And one of the things I did was work, go back to my own data from the historical data and compare it with some of the published work in the area. We found exactly the same thing. Police officers come out of training. They then get what's called puppy walked by a more senior officer, first day out on the beat. And it's amazing. This happens in the UK, the US. It happened back in the early 20th century. I'm sure it still happens now. And you get told, forget what you got told in the classroom. This is the reality of policing. And so it's about the idea that there's informal values, there's informal ways of doing things that kind of belie the fact that policing is seen as having a, a hierarchy, a very set way of doing things. It's the idea that it, in reality, it's kind of informal. And the big question here that you alluded to, Michael, is this idea, is it fixed and static or is it kind of changing? And I'll try not to be the police culture bore that I am, but traditionally, especially in the British literature, there was one kind of way of seeing police culture. And it was quite simply that the police are racist, they're sexist, and they're all these negative things. And that was kind of politically informed by kind of left-wing academics, more so than being informed by, I think, the reality at all times. And in the late 1990s, uh, an amazing academic from, oh, I think he's at the University of New South Wales, in your territory, Michael, um, called Janet Chan, kind of rewrote the rule book for police culture and said there's multiple forms of culture. Cultures will vary between different roles in the police, uh, between different areas, urban areas and rural areas. New legislation will change how the police do their job, new pressures, government inquiries, they all have an impact. So it was basically the idea that um, the external world changes the culture of the police. And there is a link here, because when we're looking at training, up until Janet Chan's work, there was an idea that you couldn't train police officers to think differently or to have different values, be it about cybercrime, technology, cyber training. There was an idea that police officers were just police officers and you couldn't change their outlook. And with Chan's work, it said, well, basically, you can change their outlook. And this is something that I get reminded about whenever I look at training or cyber. I'm kind of reminded of Janet Chan's work because it's the idea that we're actually trying to change how officers think about their work. And this is, in many respects, a cultural change. And any form of professionalization, for example, trying to get officers to deal with cybercrime or to see cybercrime as important, at some level, needs officers to have different values to their traditional working patterns. 
police officers aren't born, they're created. I assume. I mean, I've never seen the factory that they come out of if, if, if they are born. <laughs> so what's the process? I mean, you, you, you hinted it. there's a training and then there's a puppy walk and those two things are, are different and not necessarily complementary. Uh, how is it that, that a police officer becomes a police officer in terms of acquiring the knowledge that, that makes them uh, uh, a, a police person? That's a really, really interesting um, uh, question. And I, I, there was some work, I think, in, in the 1960s, there was an assumption that, well, the police police officers weren't made. It's just that the police as a profession or an occupation, as it was seen as at that time, attracted certain types of people. Now, that kind of idea was roundly dismissed through research findings. of People like um, Jerome Skolnick probably discounted that theory. But the question of where do police officers get made or how do they get made, there's a big area of research into police socialisation. And there is kind of a culture war in terms of two opposing viewpoints here that strike really to the heart of the police professionalisation agenda, which we're seeing now, this idea that we want a more professional police force, we want the police to be seen as a profession rather than an occupation. and. There's some work in this area, I've certainly contributed to it with a, a great colleague called uh, Dr. Emma Williams, where we look at the tension between um, evidence-based policing, the idea that policing should have its own canon of literature, it should be very much derived from scientific research studies, and pretty much the idea that um, if we find that something works in a particular environment, we should be able to take that idea or that model and decant it to a different environment or a different context. This idea that there are some kind of general rules, scientific rules of policing and police work and crime control. So that's very much the evidence-based policing approach, which has been popularized by people like uh, Larry Sherman. On the other hand, there's this idea, the one I've alluded to already, that it's kind of craft knowledge, that instead of evidence, police knowledge is based on experience. So you have a tension between experiential learning, the puppy walking, the learning from your peers, and then you've got the evidential approach, which is classroom learning. And there is this, I would say there's a need for both. You need to have knowledge, kind of abstracted knowledge and in the case of cyber training you need to have scientific knowledge about you know factual knowledge about how cyber works how cyber criminals work how technology works but at the same time there's the idea of how do we apply this knowledge to the multitude of situations police officers can find themselves in so in a really fudged cop-out answer to your question michael that i think the answer is uh, it's a little bit of both a lot of it's about scientific knowledge or factual evidence. The other bit is about the experiential side. How do we apply this knowledge and in what way to a particular situation? So when you were talking about the, and I love the term, the, the, the puppy walk, you said basically forget everything that you learn in the classroom. This is where you learn how to be a, a police officer on the beats where you really learn how to do it. I mean, is there a competition there between that source of learning, the experienced police officer, the, the senior police officer in your group who's telling you how, to, how things actually work, and, and the, the learning curriculum that, that you, you got in the classroom. So, I mean, what I'm thinking is if tomorrow we changed all of the textbooks for police officers and filled them with cyber knowledge, 
would they that then have to compete with what they were getting told when they actually got out on the job? That's a, a really important question, Michael. It's it's there is a, there is a built intention there, and I think the problem is is that uh, I've probably been quite critical in some respects of evidence based policing as an idea in um, in some of my writing. Certainly, around I think in the past we thought that there was a little bit too much attention to the importance of RCTs or you know randomized controlled trials as a way of developing best evidence. And I think it was a concern that some of the qualitative, the experiential knowledge of police officers would be lost under such a system. So I think there is a tension there. And this, to me, is the big question. How do we get the balance right? You know, if you went to a totally evidence-based approach to policing or cyber in this, in this example, I'm sure you'd be losing a lot of really, really good craft experience the stuff that hasn't quite yet made it into the textbooks so is it an issue that you might throw the baby out with the bathwater here you know we want to make sure that we can use really good scientific evidence but at the same time we shouldn't discount those little craft rules on those that craft knowledge which we have to be really aware of here the reason why police culture and cultural knowledge exists to this day is because it serves a purpose you know, cultural knowledge gets passed from generation of officers to the next generation of officers because it's worked or it's helped. I'm not saying that the uh, the way it's helped the police officers is always the way that the police force might, in, you know, intend. It doesn't always resonate with the mission statement or the vision statement of the organisation, but it helps officers to get through one day to the next day. And on a good day, you know, the police organization's wishes coincide with that of its officers. We want to have a, a cyber-capable police force. We want to have a cyber-enabled police force. How do we get from where we are now to cyber-capable police force? Well, yeah, that, that's a great question, Michael. I think the, the, and the starting point here, just to kind of backtrack a tiny bit, is to say when we did the research in this area, we started off by doing a bit of a literature review. And I'll tell you where the literature said we were at the moment or in the, you know, in the last 10 years, because it was kind of dated by the literature. There were issues around capability and capability isn't just people not having technical knowledge. There's the issue that there's been a lack of strategic sense about where we place cyber knowledge in police organisations. And it might be something that we, we come back to later on in the discussion, I don't know, but there are tensions, just what might seem like an easy question, where, where should the knowledge reside in the organisation? There, there have been big questions about the capability of frontline officers, first responders to incidents. Uh, there have been questions about uh, the technological resources, or sorry, the technical resources of police organisations. And I think there are also tensions between the national level security, regional and local. And I think different national jurisdictions tend to position that balance quite differently. Um, and I do think that there's been a growing sense that because cyber was a bit niche and specialised for many years, but cybercrime now is kind of ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And I think that a lot of organizations tended to place a lot of their resources at the national level, the regional level. And now I think there might be a bit of a rethink, thinking we also need to have resilience here at the local level. So looking forward, 
which I think was your original question, Michael. Uh, I think the idea is one of the big things to resolve here is do we proceed as we generally have done with having silos of cyber knowledge strategically positioned in, say, regional police forces? Do we have a, a digital forensics unit? Do we have a cyber crime unit? Or do we go to kind of every operational level, your first responders, your young, your maybe your 22-year-old police officers, do, do they have to have a level of cyber knowledge as well? And I know that the policy move going forward, certainly the UK, um, a lot of the work done on how do we create a cyber policy for the future has said cyber skills have got to be kind of generic, kind of the idea of the, the average officer's skill level should incorporate some cyber knowledge because they're often the first responders and it comes down to the idea of them having knowledge to for example not turn off routers if there's an idea that there's a cyber element at a crime scene they're at it's no use having a regional squad dealing with that you need the first person through the door to have that knowledge so i think increasingly in terms of the policy level it's the idea the higher echelons of policy makers tend to say we should have this knowledge at all levels. Then there's another question. How much knowledge do they need at each level? What is a basic level of cyber knowledge? And I think that's an incredibly tough one because, well, you know, this is changing all the time. And I think that the, the other idea we need to engage with going forward is thinking what is police training going to look like in terms of cyber maybe 10 12 years ago it was seen as a niche area and you were quite we were quite happy having our silos of knowledge expert departments as it were now to what extent should we build cyber training into core training for all officers and then i know there's a massive issue in policing right now with refresher training there doesn't seem to be a lot of point in showing someone what cyber looks like in 2021 if they're still going to be serving in 2036, we believe the uh, the landscape will have changed dramatically by then. So it's an idea of how do we work out what is an appropriate level of cyber skill? How do we articulate that in training and expectation of officers? And how do we position it? And in what roles uh, within police forces? It's an interesting situation. Uh, so we've got this idea that all of the officers need to know how to respond to different types of crime and gather different forms of digital evidence and also respond to victims of different types of digital crimes. But it's also very complicated. And every time I, I hear about funding, it's, it's a nice, shiny digital forensic center or a cyber center within the police. Is there a, a competition between making every police officer a cyber-capable police officer and the technical capacity built into a place. Is that, is that something that we're, we're unconsciously building into the police now? I, I, I think there's an idea, just to pick up on, um, I think, that final point, it's, I think there's an idea that we, certainly when it comes to funding, um, I've read somewhere recently that, um, you know, cybercrime is kind of, kind of exceeded terrorism as a core strategic uh, issue at uh, state levels. Um, so, of course, as soon as something gets prioritised to that level, funding occurs. And I do think there's, there's a, certainly a challenge here when we put a lot of money into um, digital forensics and cybercrime units. I think we sometimes forget we need to look at where the volume crime is. 
And, you know, sure, we have to be uh, aware of, you know, we've, we've got constant cyber attacks against major institutions, certainly here in the UK, and I'm sure in, in any of the major part, major capital of the world. But we, we, don't, we, we need to remember, of course, that everything is becoming e-enabled now, and this is even the mundane crimes. And, you know, I think one of the issues that came up when we were talking to neighbourhood policing teams was, you know, we, we're dealing with cyberbullying. We're dealing with community tensions that are exacerbated by social media. And I think certainly with the work we did uh, in the particular force we were at, they said the majority of their cyber crime comes down to threats, intimidation, bullying on social media. And what we're really seeing is just the kind of the e-enabling of community tensions, but through a different platform. Rather than a punch-up at a village hall meeting, people are getting onto their local community Facebook uh, and upsetting people there. So what we were seeing is that a lot of the volume crime that is cyber is actually quite low level. And I think that pushes us towards thinking, should resources perhaps go into training at the lower level rather than just into the really expensive, um, high-end cyber security? Because certainly with the research we did, we were finding that um, officers who were dealing with cyber really were struggling for the funding to get just kind of average software. You know, when, you, when you're kind of dealing with a, a quite big regional force and you realise that they're, a lot of the software that they're using in terms of cybersecurity and fighting cybercrime is actually on one-month free trials, you realise that there's a resource issue there. So I think there's, there's an issue not just about creating very nice shiny cyber centres for police organisations. There's an idea of kind of funding the mundane things as well, because a lot of the crime that is being dealt with that is cyber is mundane, low level, and is kind of the e-enabling of what would have previously been non-cyber volume crime. Where would you say the cyber knowledge within in the police is now? And is it where it should be or or not? I think at present, I would say that a lot of the cyber knowledge, certainly from our research, was residing in silos of expert knowledge um, and, and often civilian knowledge. Certainly in, in the, the organisation we were looking at, I think it was an idea that, you know, uh, cybercrime units tended to be, um, tended to employ as staff rather than police officers. So we'd have people, you know, great expertise coming from maybe private industry and coming in. And because that is a traditional model we worked, I think what we've seen is very much a niche area. And certainly the research we did, we found that although some officers were really willing to embrace cyber, there certainly wasn't uh, an overarching view that this was something that every officer should be dealing with. And there is a shift there. But I do think that it goes beyond just police officers. Uh, the research we did explored how cybercrime impacted pretty much every department or role within this police organization and we for example found that call takers the people who take the emergency calls they need to have cyber knowledge because if they're the first person who a member of the public has contact with if we're going to talk about uh, just pretty good you know normal housekeeping for such cases like you know not unplugging routers etc we need the first part of that interface between the organization and the public to be able to give out this kind of advice so we realized that call takers 
in the call center are really important here. And when, the more we looked at it, we looked at a range of the, the different roles within the police, um, officer roles, staff roles, and you know all of them. And we found that they all demanded cyber knowledge, really. They all need cyber knowledge. They could certainly find parts of their role where they really needed this cyber knowledge. So from a big needs assessment we did on cyber within this police organization, we found that pretty much the key priority that people who we interviewed identified was one of training around cyber. And it was pretty much unexpected. We thought people would be wanting technical fixes and apps and you know new technologies to deal with specific crime problems. The biggest issue that came up, I think, was um, how would we train people and how should we train people? So it's the idea of knowledge. How do we communicate it? Where does it reside? And also, who should have this knowledge and to what level? So these became training issues and knowledge dissemination issues rather than technical issues. And this was a surprise to all of us on the research team, given that nearly everyone on the research team was a technologist and I was the only social scientist with an interest in training. So, um, yeah, this is where we are now. Basically, so just to sum up, there is an idea here that... Um, we found that there was a real lack of cyber knowledge throughout the organization. And we really found it difficult to find any roles where there wasn't a need for cyber knowledge. And that's including, you know, members of staff as well as warranted officers. You asked a good question in there, so I'll, I'll feed it back to you. How should we train them? Right. Um, how should we train police officers? Now, we have to contextualize any kind of discussion around this in probably wider debates around police training um in part this refers back to the idea of the tension between um evidential knowledge and experiential knowledge so you know learnt knowledge from books or the knowledge we glean from doing things and this has long been an issue in policing and it's kind of got a little bit more of a or become more of an issue Certainly in places like the UK where we're going through a professionalization process where there's a much greater onus on officers to, to have a degree or to be studying towards a degree. And what we know is, and there's quite a lot of research in this area, is that police officers do tend to learn traditionally or see themselves as learning best through experience. And we can certainly see that. If you want to talk to people about how, how do you do community policing? It's kind of hard to do it without actually communicating with members of communities. You know, this is what we would expect. And so there's a big onus, I think, within policing and its culture that you learn things by doing things. At the same time, there's always going to be a need for classroom knowledge, especially when you look at things like legislation and training people in the law, which let's not forget, it's not just totally a set of soft skills that you learn by doing. There's also hard knowledge there. And this goes from the technical elements be it around technology and cybercrime, or even to the legislation around it. Now, what we have found is that police officers, and what we did just to recap in terms of the research we did, we surveyed officers around their feelings of different types of cyber training. And what we found was that police forces tend to rely on e-learning packages. And why not? We can see why there's a reason for these. There are massive issues in the police at the moment with abstracting people from operational duty to do training courses. Uh, we don't have that kind of flexibility, really, in terms of resources. Resources 
have made for very or resource shortfalls have made for very lean police forces recently. E-packages are great. You can get people to complete them whilst they're eating a sandwich at their desk over lunch. There aren't issues with traveling maybe 30, 40 miles to a training center to do it. So we have seen a move towards online learning packages. And these, we found, we found some really interesting findings here. Officers really weren't keen on electronic learning packages. And for any of your listeners who've certainly like myself in a university have had to do online training, I found it really not a great way of learning anything to any depth. There are some exceptions here. People found that for basic learning around key terms and terminology, e-learning packages can be really, really helpful. And slightly ironically, e-learning packages were seen as helpful when they're used as a basis of group learning. And I think the idea there was that, you know, some of these e-learning packages don't have much of an impact for an individual. But if there's two or three of you talking through the answers with each other, as you do it, police officers find it a lot more helpful. And this took us to one of the biggest findings of the research was that police officers really like interaction when they're dealing with abstract knowledge. And I think a lot of the cyber knowledge that was presented to officers was maybe quite high level for them. We didn't have tailored packages for different roles or different uh, levels of officer. They all got the same kind of generic package and what officers found was that they were easier they found it easier to make sense of abstracted technical knowledge if they could discuss it while they were learning it and what officers tend to do and this kind of brings us back to this tension between kind of factual knowledge and experiential knowledge is that officers like to play around with technical knowledge discuss it amongst themselves as they work out how would they apply that knowledge to the situations that they engage with. Because one thing about policing is they policing encapsulates so many different situations or working situations. You can't train people and say, well, you deal with three situations. We'll tell you how to deal with this in each of those situations. Off every situation, officers deal with a different. And so officers like to bounce abstract or conceptual knowledge amongst themselves, discuss it, chat about it, talk about how, for example, they'd have done things differently in a certain situation. And officers really value that. Officers really like the idea of being able to pick the instructors, pick through their experience, to chat about things, just presenting knowledge with little context or little professional context to officers doesn't make for a great learning experience. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, what they're they're really looking for is the opportunity to to socialize and uh, experiment in terms of mentally experience some of the the knowledge that they've had by running through scenarios and discussing it with colleagues and and really talking about it as it applies to the work of policing. So, I, I guess that is kind of professionalization if they have very specific job type knowledge and they're being fed job type knowledge that's important to them. Yeah, and it, it's interesting because when you look at how police training is structured anyway, you often have the classroom component and then you actually put people out into communities. So I think the, the kind of pedagogic idea there is that they're going to be applying that knowledge to their physical working environment. You know, this is how this is how so many professions learn how to, you know, they have to assimilate 
abstract knowledge or technical knowledge to the world around them, be it medicine, teaching, whatever. And so, yeah, and, and this is, the, the challenge is, I think, though, is that given that there are so many different types of policing, you know, from community policing, traffic policing, detective work, this pushes us towards having to think, well, to what extent do we differentiate the cyber training or the level of cyber knowledge so it's more likely to be more appropriate to that person's role? Because some of the feedback we got through the research was that some people just didn't get it. They thought they were being given a, a set of learning or a set of training, sorry, that didn't really apply to, they couldn't see the point of doing it. And I think this is the, this is, uh, the key to training in any context is it has to make sense to the person doing it. And what we have done traditionally is to use very, very generic training. It's kind of like cyber 101. And what you've got to realize is that cyber is going to have very different ramifications for people doing homicide inquiries, to people who are doing, you know, work in the communities, kind of building bridges with, you know, excluded communities. Totally different experiences. And I think that the, and we realize it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing here because we realize that police organizations do not have vast budgets right now. Um, certainly not, not in my experience. And yet the kind of the detail of the research would be pushing them if they took it on board, I guess, or did engage with it, it would be saying we probably need to diversify the packages so they're really specific. So officers and staff alike can see how these relate to their particular role. Yeah, that's a really interesting challenge too, because it's it's hard to invest in something as fuzzy as a hundred different training packages for a hundred different subcultural groups within a with police force across a nation at all different levels in all different roles and then try and evaluate the, the effectiveness of that. that. That's kind of a, I mean, it's a, it's a hard sell, but it seems very, very necessary. Do we, do we know all that we need to know to, to start down this path or is there more research that we need to do? One kind of challenge here, I think, is going to be the idea that some officers, it's not always a straightforward issue of making this knowledge user-friendly to officers so they can go, right, it's clicked. I know what it's about. I can apply it now. We also have a certain amount of cultural kickback saying this isn't our job because, the, again, we come back to culture. The traditional police culture is seen um, policing as being kind of craft-based, very common sense. It's about, um, and this is a view that's quite popular amongst uh, a lot of officers, is that policing is very common sense. It's pragmatic. It's not about theory. And also, when you think that cybercrime, a lot of cybercrime, it kind of takes place in a in the ether. It's not taking place in a physical environment. And this doesn't always sit that well with traditional visions of policing. So it's not just about making sure that training is accessible in terms of the knowledge. You've got to manage the expectations of police officers to say, I'm sorry, mate, the world has changed a bit since you joined. This is now part of your job. And there was a certain amount of kickback where people were saying, this isn't the job for me to do. Like, leave it to those, uh, the boffins in the cybercrime unit. And so there's a little bit of a cultural battle to be fought there. And I, I think the way forward is where do we need more knowledge? 
I think we need to ask a question of police organizations and they need to work out what level of knowledge do they need where. And again, this might be different in different national jurisdictions. It's going to depend on, you know, how much knowledge do you want to give someone in a call center? How much time and train time of training do you want to put someone in a call center to do what you need them to do in terms of securing crime scenes? And so there's always this balance between creating bespoke training for everyone and going more generic. But at the end of the day, police organizations have got to start thinking, to what extent does cyber impact on this role and how? And let's just work about how we can create the knowledge and disseminate the knowledge that that person needs. But it's always going to take place against a backdrop of um, a lack of opportunity to abstract people from their job, to give them that training. There's always going to be a resource implication. And there's always going to be, have we got enough people to deliver that training. So I think there is going to be a push towards the electronic, but I think the really clever money right here would be looking at how can we use electronic learning packages, which are easy to access, which are relatively cheap in terms of human resources, but which can actually engage with the mindset of officers so they see them as meaningful and educational. It's wonderful to sort of highlight that paradox because they're there's perhaps a, a, a note of caution here for people writing um, recommendations for reports and things suggesting that the culture needs to change, so we need more training to change the culture, because it seems that culture is also something that needs to change in order to have effective training. So you need to have culture change to have good training, but training is also the thing that's highlighted as, as a base for changing culture. So it's, it's not so easy. There's a bit of a paradox. You can't just... Um, implement some training and have wonderful cultural change. There's a, there's a number of things that need to work at different levels in order to implement that, uh, that effectively. I think that's a, a wonderful note of, of caution and, and perhaps a good way of, of framing how complex just train the police might actually be. Is there anything else we should consider here? And, and then to follow that, are you going to be doing any more research in this area or, or what's next for you? Uh, in terms of um, do we need to do any more research in this area, it's tough because we, as researchers, we kind of get directed by police organisations who, if we're lucky, have a little pot of money and can kind of resource the research that needs to be done. And I do think to a certain extent, I think at this moment in time, the ball is in the court of police organisations around just dealing with these incredibly tough challenges around, you know, where do we put the knowledge in our um, organisation and who do we who do we kind of resource with this knowledge and to what level and in what way? And I think that becomes an organisational issue in terms of organisational decisions rather than a research issue. Uh, the second question, uh, are I do any more research in this area? Um, I'd really hope to do so. Um, I, I, t- I hooked up for this piece of research with um, some great, great cyber people, I technological people who are the total opposite of me because they understand cybercrime and technology. I'm the mere token social scientist who uh, uh, does the work into things like training, you know, the softer stuff. But I, I'd really like to do it again. And I, I think that this area of cyber training, to me, it just brings together so many interesting areas, professionalization, the impact of new technologies 
on traditional occupations and professions. And so you've got to unpick lots of things here. But certainly, yeah, I would love to do more research in this area. And I think specifically around, A, how do we manage police officers' expectations around this changing world and what was an expertise 10 years ago is now a core piece of being a generally competent police officer because that's a big change for something to go from specialized knowledge to core generic knowledge in such a short time but that tells us i guess a lot about the changing world around us thank you so much for your insight and uh, for helping me learn more about the police and police culture which is something that i i didn't know much about before and keep doing what you're doing thank you the pleasure's been all mine michael a great big thank you to Dr. Cockroft for sharing his insights with us and for weathering my ignorance with such pleasant candor. Links for the paper and for more information are waiting for you in the show notes if you'd like to read more about police training for cybercrime. This has been Cybercrimeology, a podcast about cybercrime, its research, and its researchers. It's produced by me, but it's only made possible by the kind guests sharing their time and their research. If you do have a question or a comment, you can reach me at, at Cybercrimology on Twitter or by old-fashioned email at cybercrimology at gmail.com. <laughs>